Hey, y'all. I'm Mary Payne Gilbert. Welcome to Payne in the Pod. I want to thank all my listeners for giving me suggestions for podcasts. Please keep them coming. And don't forget, you can find bonus content over on Patreon. Just type in patreon.com slash Payne in the Pod and check it out. I've got some really cool stuff coming up very soon. Now, today I am excited to be in our D.C. studio talking to my guest, Michael Whelan, of the podcast Unresolved. As you know, I'm a big fan of true crime podcasts, but this one is a bit different. Unresolved is an investigative storytelling podcast that focuses on all types of unresolved stories like unsolved crimes or really any story that lacks an ending. Michael, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, First, I want to talk about your background and how you got into this. Sure. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Growing up, I just always had an interest in I guess the macabre, some would say, but, you know, true crime and unsolved mysteries, the show in particular, I was a huge fan growing up. So, you know, the the unending nature of those stories just always kind of like tickled at my brain, you know, imagining the what ifs. Yeah. And growing up, yeah, I was just super into that stuff, reading Zodiac, the the book by Robert Graysmith. And yep. yeah, just always interested. And do you listen to The Trail Went Cold by Robin Warder since he also is obsessed with Unsolved Mysteries? <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes. The two of yeah. you could wear your Robert Stack hats together. Yeah. Um, so tell my listeners exactly what they can expect with Unresolved, with your podcast specifically. Gotcha. Um, my podcast, you could probably find a lot of stories that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Uh, I really try and stay away from the super popular stories when I can, you know, at there are a million podcasts that touch on Mara Murray and John Benet Ramsey. So I try and find the stories that aren't really being told. Right. And I try and just focus on my, I try and put the emphasis on the human side of the story. So instead of focusing so much on the gory details, I try and make sure that if a, like someone went missing, I try and make sure their story is what takes center stage. Rather than the murderer. Yeah. Yes. Um, so as we discussed uh, when we were off mic, you said your podcast has been out for four years about? Yep, just about. I mean, that's a lot of work. <laughs> that is a lot of work. Um, so how did you come up with this specific idea? Like you said, there are a lot of podcasts that, that cover cases that are unsolved or be in the, like Golden State Killer or Zodiac or all these ones that mm-hmm. are being solved. So how did you come up with this idea to sort of focus on these unsolved cases? A lot of them never, never, never heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for me, it was just kind of personal interest at first, because when I started the podcast, it was really just a hobby. So right. I, I didn't really enter it with the, the notion of, you know, I'm going to become a superstar, make any money with this. <laughs> it was just kind of like something that I did. And, you know, I would like browse these websites like Web Sleuths and, you know, contribute to those websites. And eventually it just clicked in my brain like, oh, I like listening to podcasts. I should just start one. Yeah. And at the time, there actually weren't a lot of true crime or unsolved mystery podcast. Right. I think there were a handful. There was like Serial was really popular at the time. Yes. There were Thinking Sideways, Generation Y. Yes. And maybe a couple of others. But those were really the only podcasts that were on my radar at the time. So Yeah. Now Apple has a whole category <laughs> just for yeah. true crime. <laughs> there yes. are a thousand of them. <laughs> there, are, there are a lot. Yours is always at the top of the heap because it's so well done. Thank you. So how do you find the cases? How, how do the cases come to you that you cover on Unresolved? Um, I guess it's a little of, I guess, two different categories, I guess. So they're the ones that I've always been super interested in. So the ones that I'll just find on, you know, I'm browsing the internet and find this one link and it leads to a story that, you know, 
unsolved mystery from the 1980s. There's two newspaper articles and then nothing else. So those Ooh. are the stories that I always bookmark and like, I want to learn more about those. Right. And then there are quite a few that listeners will suggest from time to time. And I try and put a focus on those, but a lot of times those are the super popular cases. Right. And, of course. Yeah. Well, I've listened to uh, a lot of your podcast and, I, you know, scrolling through, you do as a listener want to click on the ones you already know. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, maybe there's a different <laughs> spin on it. So how do you put a new spin on something maybe like someone else has already heard? Um. I guess I just try to focus on, kind of, I guess, the narrative, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of pod- podcasts, they'll go into a story and lay out the facts really quickly and then spend half the time theorizing. Uh, but uh-huh. I like to go into the specific details and say, you know, lay everything out in a timeline and just focus on, I guess, the story itself and the people involved, um, if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. It does. And the most recent one I listened to, I was listening to today, actually, and, of course, the name of her, just the last name was Reichert. Oh, yeah, Judy Weikert. Yes, Weikert. Mm-hmm. And that was so interesting because, like a lot of your um, podcasts on Unresolved, it just sort of goes and goes and goes and someone's arrested, but then it doesn't, you know, it's it's still unresolved because mm-hmm. the person that was arrested, you know, was was not responsible. And then it turns out to be a whole thing against the whole state of Oklahoma <laughs> with a shady um, forensic person, which it's. I was very interested in that story because you mentioned Oklahoma a lot, which where mm. my husband's from. And then you mentioned Fairfax County, Virginia, which, of course, is where <laughs> I live. And in any of those cases like that, I'm always like, wow. And I've ne- <laughs> never heard of it. Mm-hmm. Never heard of it. Yeah. So I also asked you this off mic. Because your podcast is so so professionally and well done, we've got um, sound clips, we've got music, we've got just so much obvious detailed investigation – it just on an average case, like let's just say for this last one you just did, um, how many hours would you say you worked on that specific case? Um, that one, that was probably about 40 to 50 hours. Just, you know, going through all the, the research documents. Uh, in that case in particular, there were a couple people that I was working with mm-hmm. who have kind of contributed to the story and tried to really spread it to people online. Yes. And they were willing to contribute a lot of like the actual information to me, which was super helpful. And so that kind of expedited the research process, which in other cases can take a lot longer. (laughs) Do you, are you ever, um, at the library old school looking through microfiche? (laughs) I have done that from time to time. (laughs) It reminds me of college, right? Yeah. Yeah. I actually used to be a librarian, so. Really? So not an actual certified librarian, but I worked at libraries for the better part of five, six years. Yep. I was an assistant librarian nice. at a law firm. <laughs> wow. And um, really, I just helped check out the books and do like interlibrary loans, <laughs> ILL, interlibrary loans. Yep. <laughs> but I, uh, but same thing. It was like LexisNexis, and that was sort of the when it was first coming out. Mm-hmm. And now, since it's been so many years, I mean, I can't even imagine how much it's changed for people like you trying to do like real research. Yeah. It's probably the age of the internet has helped tremendously. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely has. Because yeah. that was actually when I started getting into, you know, the, looking up these unsolved mysteries and stuff was when I was at college. I was working at the academic library of Washington State University. Wow. So there were just a lot of resources. And, you know, when I was working at the library, I'd work sometimes until 2 a.m. and there's nothing to do. So might as well Resource. look up some stuff oh, on yeah. the, using the resources. And yeah. <laughs> And how does your uh, your wife feel about these uh, dark subjects that you're sort of immersed <laughs> in at all times? Um, I think she 
she's really helped me do a good job of compartmentalizing everything. Because yeah. I think when I first started, there was a, a pretty big period of me, you know, I just kept thinking about the stories and especially after I started talking to, you know, family members of victims and stuff. Yes. That stuff can actually weigh pretty heavily upon you. But yes, absolutely. Yeah. So now that it's become kind of my job, I've really tried to do a better job of, you know, keeping that at work. And then when I'm done with work, <laughs> yes. I spend time with our dog and my wife. And yeah, it's interesting. There's a podcast out right now called Insomniac, and it sort of covers the same thing. It's a, it's a, a guy like you that's doing all these research on all these murderers and things. Mm-hmm. And it sort of goes into how he develops insomnia because he can't get these horrible things out of his head. Yeah. So I can imagine, I remember asking um, um, Vince of Gone Cold the same thing, like how do you sort of push it out of your brain at the end of the day? Because you, most people, when you lay down to sleep, your brain just goes, you know, mm-hmm. starts going in a circle. So yep. it seems like it would be a little rough. Yeah. I think ever since I've started the podcast, I've definitely, when I go to bed, I tend to turn on TV or something, you know, kind of background noise so mm-hmm. I can filter it out. Turn yeah. on something funny like Friends or The Office or something. <laughs> so when I'm trying to go to sleep, if um, nobody's, you know, if my husband's not there or whatever, I will put on uh, My Favorite Murder. Oh, really? It lulls me to sleep, <laughs> yes. I know nice. that's, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> so like we we're saying, I think it's probably more interesting for your audience to give them a cold case if they've uh, never heard of, like the small town murders that you highlight. Mm-hmm. So when you're going into it, are you feeling like – how am I trying to say this? You you want to give them something they've never heard of, but you want to give it to them so much that they, too, want to research, and then they want to become like a Reddit sleuth. And, mm. you know, I mean, you want to, at the end of the day, get the unresolved resolved, <laughs> right? Yeah, that would be the, the dream goal. <laughs> yes. To one day contribute and help one of these stories, you know, get the attention it deserves and then get solved eventually. Yeah. But I always, well, I said this a lot early on, but... I don't really view my podcast as like the end all be all of these stories because, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, they don't belong to me. They belong to the victims and their families. But right. I just try and, you know, lay out the case as cleanly as I can and kind of let people use their own imagination to, I guess, theorize. Yeah. OK, we're going to take a break and we're going to come right back with Michael Whelan of Unresolved. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. Okay, I'm back with Michael Whelan of the podcast Unresolved. So I want to talk about a little bit of some of the cases that you've covered. Now, like we mentioned earlier, a popular one, of course, would be Zodiac. And a lot of us, of course, have read the book and seen the movie. And I um, listened to the Monster podcast about the Zodiac as well, which I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Do you have a particular theory on the Zodiac? Um. That's a really good question because that was kind of my pet case growing up and, yeah. you know, watching the movie and reading the book, you're, you're led to believe that it was definitely Arthur Lee Allen. Right. But I think there's possibly a suspect out there that's, you know, gotten away with it for 50 years and hasn't been on anyone's radar. That's my theory. <laughs> I agree with that theory. Mm. And that sort of leads me into my next question is like, 
the same thing with the Golden State Killer. Mm. That guy would have never been on anybody's radar. And then the way that it came about, of course, was DNA. Mm -hmm. So with this advent of the DNA finding these people, you know, since you work so much on these cases, are you just like every day, fingers crossed, like one of these things (laughs) is going to roll through Mm -hmm. and someone's going to be found. Yeah. That's actually been like a huge thing, I guess, just kind of in the mystery community. Mm -hmm. So there are all of these cases, and I've actually covered quite a few recently where there was DNA evidence left at the scene, but there just really hasn't been a big push to test the DNA. So, yeah, I just I really hope that I guess nationally and on the state level, we can raise more funding to go through that process and test a lot of these, you know, old rape kits and stuff like that. Something was uh, this when I was just this past week on vacation. Uh, somebody, my husband always jokes that he's part like Cherokee Indian because he gets really tan at the beach and he's really, <laughs> you know, red in tone of his skin. So we're like, no, you're not. Like your your family's from Ireland. And so this is like <laughs> his joke with us. So I said, what I should get for you is 23andMe and then we can prove for once mm-hmm. and for all, you know, your family's from Ireland. And we were joking about it and one of the kids is one of the teenagers that was with us said, oh, you don't want to do that because <laughs> if you put your DNA into one of these <laughs> systems, they could come back and, and somebody in your crime, family could be committed a crime. Yeah. And I said, well, good. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I've actually had her- that conversation with my wife a few times because she wants to do it and she yeah. wants to do like the uh, 23andMe. But I'm like, no, let's do GEDmatch, you know. Yeah. We find out that a second cousin is possibly a killer it'd be awesome to have them behind bars <laughs> right and then but it's so interesting that the teenagers you know are so young and that they know about that and they say like no you should never do it and i said well i mean you know i didn't kill anybody and dad didn't kill anybody so we're we're good mm-hmm. so you should actually yes you should do that yeah and i think that that's a um it's a, just a totally new way of thinking that I that I love. Mm-hmm. And I love that story, you know, with the Golden State Killer and Paul Holes having that information and sitting outside D'Angelo's house, yeah. you know, just waiting. Yeah. I, um, those type of stories just give me a thrill. <laughs> so I, I agree with your theory, uh, back to the Zodiac, that it mm-hmm. is somebody that's out there and yeah. maybe dead, but at least maybe one day we could find out. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, going back to the first story that I covered on Unresolved was the Golden State Killer, who was mm-hmm. actually at the time – that wasn't really a name given to him. He was known as the original Night Stalker. Right. And I was involved in, you know, so many discussions online. And that's actually why I started the podcast because I was like, why the hell isn't anyone talking about this guy? Yeah. <laughs> He's like the scariest person that I've ever heard of. But yes. at the time, you know, the the actual guy that was caught, Joseph or D'Angelo, yeah, I forget yeah, his Jeff name. Yeah, Joseph D'Angelo, I yeah. think. Yeah. But he wasn't on anyone's radar. And, you know, looking back, we could say, oh, he had this arrest in, what, 1978 for stealing dog repellent. And mm-hmm. that should have come up on someone's radar but i guess it didn't <laughs> right he, and he was stealing something else too um yeah i think it was like a hammer maybe or something yeah like that. i mean whatever it was two things that he used a yeah. lot <laughs> yeah but because he was law enforcement maybe it wasn't looked mm-hmm. at as closely yeah um so i recently listened to the case that you did of larry chisholm mm-hmm. so there were a lot of twisted turns there and it, like i told you earlier like when something's sort of a little bit about where I'm from in Mississippi, and this was sort of like Arkansas, Mississippi, mm-hmm. all that whole Memphis area, um, to me, I'm very familiar with. And nice. so that case had so many twists and turns. <laughs> it was one of those things where we're like, this is only an hour podcast and we're on like minute 50, but it's like another twist and another <laughs> turn. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about – my listeners that don't know, tell me a little bit about that case. Just give me a summary and then I would like to know your theory about what you think happened to Larry and his gotcha. kids. Uh, Yeah, so that case was actually one that I had never heard of, but I was contacted by a 
deputy U.S. marshal who is interested in kind of getting the story out. Wow. Yeah. And that has never happened. Like, as far as I know, the marshals are pretty closed off when it comes to releasing information. They tend to do everything, you know, very confined. But I was contacted and, you know, it's a story of this guy who was incarcerated in the 1970s for operating a drug ring in college, which itself is already kind of crazy. <laughs> well, he was like about to graduate law school. Yeah, he was yeah. three weeks away. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he wasn't any dummy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he got incarcerated, and I think it was like a 40-year sentence, and he was able to orchestrate a breakout when him and a couple of other inmates were given kind of like a uh, a day off. They got to go to a bowling alley. Crazy, the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Like, let's let the inmates go to the bowling alley. <laughs> yeah. What could happen? Yes. Yeah, and they thought that they would be secure because they had like five or six guards with them. But he had had a friend of his hide a couple of sawed-off shotguns near the bathroom. So him and another inmate went and grabbed the shotguns and engaged in a shootout and escaped. And then he was caught a few days later. And then a couple of months after that, escaped again, this time from a county jail. And he's just been on the run for, I don't even know, 40 years now. Isn't that nuts? And yeah. that they, <laughs> they knew that he had uh, a wife and one or possibly three daughters. Mm-hmm. And you would imagine at least the one or the three daughters are for sure still out there. Yeah. Because this guy, I think I remember from the podcast, he was only maybe 10 years older than me. So he would only be in his 60s now. Yeah, he'd be, I think, right around 70-ish. Okay. Something okay. like that. But so I was thinking like, well, I mean – it's not like he would be 104. I yeah. mean, he could definitely still be out there. Yeah, he's probably definitely still out there. My theory is that he's probably lying low near the area where he grew up, kind of mm-hmm. like that uh, Memphis, Tennessee region. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does have a lot of family there. And I have a lot of personal theories about that, but there's also a lot of information that, you know, I don't really want to go into because I don't want to, you know, possibly go against the marshals and what information they want released at the time. Well, that is cool that they contacted mm-hmm. you. And yeah. that's the only time in four years? That's the only time the marshals have contacted me. There have been a couple of times where police have reached out and tried to raise awareness about a story. Wow. But, yeah. And how does that feel? It feels mm. pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just kind of cool knowing that I could help out law enforcement raise awareness about these felons that haven't been captured and, you know, justice. <laughs> yeah. Just in general, it's nice being able to contribute in some way. Yeah, that's amazing. So... I also just listened to your case of Bob Levinson, who was – it's a little bit different um, mm-hmm. than what you usually do. And this was a guy who worked for DEA, FBI, and CIA and then sort of went missing mm-hmm. um, near Iran. And what was so interesting about that was because I feel like I heard it maybe on a news story you know, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Yeah. But what was so interesting was that he – they said he would go on these CIA missions but just like book his own travel and then just get reimbursed. And you think of just like Joe Businessman going to Pittsburgh on a business trip and coming <laughs> back and like here are my expenses for I went to the you know, Olive Garden. Yep. But this guy was doing these like major operative <laughs> missions mm-hmm. and then just reimbursing for his expenses. Yep. And, I, and then the way you described him was so interesting too. He's like a, you know, a 60-year-old guy. Heavy set, you know, white hair with a mustache and like Coke bottle thick glasses mm-hmm. with diabetes and gout. Yeah. <laughs> and this is your spy. Yeah. Not what you would typically picture of a secret agent. <laughs> no. And it seems like, in my opinion, he probably has long since passed because mm-hmm. he was very ill. Yeah. And it was 2000 something they posted. Yeah, it was he, about five years ago. He posted a video Lord. saying, like, I'm very sick. And, mm-hmm. But what was so interesting was all the denial from our government that he had ever worked for our government. Yeah. <laughs> and then was it like a Reuters story or something that came out or Associated Press or something that came out that sort mm-hmm. of 
outed him as being a CIA agent. Yeah, it was, I forget what the publication was, but yeah, there was this big scandal and they found out that he had kind of been working almost illegitimately with the CIA mm-hmm. and he had just been basically been his own handler as basically a spy. And right. he was going into, you know, in this case, he was going to an island off the coast of Iran and trying to, <laughs> I don't want to say seduce, but, yeah. you know, flip someone else from another country. And yeah. that's just kind of crazy to think about independent contractors just kind of being able to make their own schedule and, you yeah. know, wreak havoc in the geopolitical sphere. You have to think, you have to think somebody knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the government says, like, absolutely not. Yeah. But then, the, the, but then they would come back to, but he is an American and we want to get him back. Mm-hmm. Um, and you wonder, like, that whole time, were they desperately trying to get him back? Or it was just sort of like, look, he's on his own. Yeah. Like, he shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but the guy had seven kids. I mean— it makes me really sad because I do think probably at this point, just because of his illnesses and whatnot, he wasn't like a, a trained spy. Yeah. Um, it, it, like you said, he wasn't trained in um, interrogation or anything yeah. like that. So yeah, he's pretty much as regular as yeah. a guy can get. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you imagine just like somebody meets sitting in my house, like looking at Reddit, like, "Ooh, I'm going to solve this <laughs> thing. I think I'll go off the coast of Iran and see what I can find." <laughs> I mean, obviously, he worked for the government for mm-hmm. a long time, but. I found that story compelling just because you think like, what else do we not know that the government does? And yeah. a lot of cases, like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to know. Like, <laughs> just as long as we kept safe, like, of those guys. But mm-hmm. I do feel bad for his wife and yeah, and his kids who they've been, you know, appealing for help from the past three presidents and yeah. just really have gotten nowhere. If they could just find out what happened, mm-hmm. you know, that's uh, that's a, that's heartbreaking. But they did, they, the family did get a payout from the government, right? I believe so yeah. yeah i think it was his they filed a lawsuit and it was his retirement fund plus mm-hmm. a little probably a little something to keep quiet yes right it's, it's been a few months since i researched yeah that yeah story, so. right well i just listened to it like yesterday so that's why it's <laughs> on uh, my mind now do you do you have one particular case that stuck with you more than the others i mean it's been four years so mm-hmm. obviously that's gonna it's like picking your favorite child but do you have one particular case that has really stuck with you um I'd say there's probably a handful, but I guess the one that sticks in my mind the most is probably a story that people would consider somewhat boring. You know, it's there's no real murder or anything like that. It was a guy that went missing. His name was Chip Campbell. Mm-hmm. And he went missing from the southern coast of Florida. And he had gotten involved in drugs and, you know, he was hanging out with the wrong crowd. And he was a guy in probably about his mid-30s. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of disappeared and... In the process of researching the story, I was able to speak to two of his sisters, one of his best friends, and they had just kind of seen the deteriorating state of him mm-hmm. over a period of months. And when he went missing, it was it was under really suspicious circumstances. He was hanging out with the wrong crowd. And right. Yeah. Get, he had gotten involved with drugs. And all in all, it's just a really sad story. And just talking to the family members and hearing them you know, say that he's probably not alive. Right. But if he's still out there, we would like to find him. Right. And so they just – they literally know nothing. They don't know. Was he in a car? Was he near the ocean? They don't know anything. He just went missing? So I think the last known sighting of him was he had stopped at a gas station nearby his house Mm -hmm. and he had two backpacks. So one was full of like, you know, like bread and peanut butter and stuff and the other was full of his personal items. So like his driver's license, his passport, birth certificate and he left them in the bathroom and then walked out. Weird. Yeah. So a lot of people think that he might have just been trying to hide them and he was planning to come back and maybe run off into the woods or something. But Mm -hmm. they were, 
you know, picked up by the, the gas station employees and just kind of held there for a couple of days until police showed up. He never came back. Nope. But it's just one of those stories that he either could have gotten involved with the wrong people right. because he had a woman living with him at the time who was involved with drug dealers and stuff. Like, it's a lot of drama. On yeah, that end, but right. But again, just, it's just like so many layers, right? Yeah. It's so many twists and turns. That's the kind of thing, too, that, you know, probably tonight I'll lay in my bed thinking, I wonder what happened to Chip Campbell. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah. So that's what I was saying earlier. Like, it seems it's it's hard to sort of uh, – turn that off in your mm-hmm. brain a little bit yeah. when this think, is like your full-time job. Yeah. yeah. And I think at the time I really identified with him because he was a guy going through a lot of personal issues and, you know, he had self-image issues and a lot of depression. And I don't know. I just, I, I think I saw a lot of myself in him and realized that I could have been in the same situation as him if a couple of things had changed. Well, you're describing it and I'm thinking how many people did I know that you know, in their twenties, thirties uh, got involved in drugs, sort of, you know, went off the grid and mm-hmm. eventually, you know, went to rehab, got some help, and, and pulled themselves up. So that could have been – I could name 10 people that mm-hmm. could be that I would know as well. Yeah. So that's why probably it struck such a chord, and that's probably now why I'm going to be thinking about it for two days. Yeah. <laughs> so have any of your cases been resolved since you started <laughs> unresolved? <laughs> there have actually been a few, and yeah. it's been awesome to kind of witness it from the sidelines and mm-hmm. see these – You know, a lot of times I would speak to family members or police officials and – they had been working on the case for years, just mm-hmm. trying to raise awareness. And then, you know, all these years later, suddenly they find a suspect. That's so like, a, yeah, great. Yeah. The very first story that I covered was the Golden State Killer. Mm-hmm. And so I covered that story probably two and a half, three years before they caught the guy. So right. I had already been following it for about a year at that point and trying to learn all the details and soak up as much information as I can. Yes. So at that point, I had a handful of years invested in the story. And then <laughs> it was actually on my birthday. I think it wasn't last year, but the year before in 2017. Or no, was it 2018? My bad. But so about a year and a half ago, I believe. I think 2018 was when they found him. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually on my birthday when I woke up to the news. And Uh, I thought people were just like messing with me at first. (laughs) I thought it was a joke. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, next you're going to tell me they found the Zodiac. Happy birthday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I just kind of like woke up and yeah, my uh, father-in-law was actually visiting at the time. So my wife and father-in-law got to spend the day and I was glued to the computer on my birthday, you know, just like, this is the true crime Super Bowl. I need to see what's going on. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. Are there any others that come to mind that were resolved since you've been Uh, starting? There was actually one that was solved a few months after that. It was uh, the case of Arliss Perry. Mm -hmm. She was a woman that was murdered on the Stanford campus back in, I think, 1974. Okay. And it was just kind of a big mystery, and she was found by a security guard. And then they did DNA testing and found out that he, the security guard, was the guy who had killed (gasps) her. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And then when they went to arrest him 40 years later, he killed himself oh, right no. when they were at the front door. So that was kind of confirmation that he was the guy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you've got so many great cases in there that just the ones that I've listened to now, I'm like, oh, gosh, now I have to go listen to that. Because <laughs> I know I've seen in your feed a lot of like update, update, update. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, OK, but yeah, I don't want to listen to that till I yeah. listen <laughs> to the other ones. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with Michael Whelan of the Unresolved podcast. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. 
Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. All right, I'm back with Michael Whelan of the Unresolved Podcast. Okay, Michael, tell me a little bit about your other podcast, Hoax, that I did not even know existed until I started looking into you, and now I want to listen to it. So tell me about Hoax. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a little side project. So I haven't really worked on it this year through 2019. I've just been distracted with a bunch of other stuff. But it's kind of a little standalone miniseries, and I'm hoping to do it again, but it's about stories where people have fabricated you know, these fictitious events. So one of the stories that I covered last year was this rock star named Jared Threaten who had (laughs) orchestrated an entire tour and basically used social media to pretend that he had a gigantic fan base. Ah. And he was able to book a European tour with this fake fan base and YouTube videos that pretended he had huge crowds at his concerts and stuff. Wow. (laughs) And then the scandal unfolded as they were touring Europe. So I think they were on like the third or fourth show. Uh-huh. And I was actually able to speak to the guitarist of the band that was touring with them at the time. And, and one they of the didn't op- know or they did know? They did not know. Okay. So they had been contacted by this guy pretending to be other people. And he had pretended to have like an, a label and an agent and a manager. And so he's like calling pretending to be the agent or the yeah. PR person, but it's really <laughs> him, the same person the whole time? Yep. Yeah. So was, that he, was, was he any good? Was the music any good? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, if, it's like cheesy power metal type stuff. Okay. All right. Well. So if you like poison, it will be your cup of tea. But. Well, I did in 1986. <laughs> yeah. But, wow. Yeah. But it's kind of just stories like that where people have, you know, faked a large part of their lives. Mm-hmm. And some of them are kind of funny like that one. Like in that one, no one was really hurt. But there are also some stories where, you know, people have been actually – I don't victimized by the hoax in question. Yeah. So there was one that I covered in New Berlin, Wisconsin. Okay. And it was a story about this guy who had pretended to be a teenage girl online. Right. And he had chatted with kids that were actually at his school. He was in high school at the time. Mm -hmm. And he was able to get naked photos of them, which he used to blackmail them and force them to have sex with him. And I feel like that might be more common than we know. A lot of the faking of the people online. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, sidebar, my son plays Xbox. I mean, as all, you know, teenage boys <laughs> do. And I always say, like, whoever, you know, you're playing with, do you know them? He'll say, oh, yeah, it's so-and-so's cousin or whatever. And I'll say, well, don't ever, like, really play with strangers because, and I would, let's say, it could be some 40-year-old man in the mom's basement and they're asking you to, like, send pictures. He was like, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> but I'm so, I hear these stories all the time and so I'm so, like, paranoid about it mm-hmm. that things like that totally can happen. Yeah. And then, there's a lot of like the catfishing stuff and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day when my wife and I used to play video games a lot, we would play like Call of Duty with the headset on and we'd be talking. Yes. And then I would switch, you know, give the headset to my wife and she would start talking. And almost immediately like our profile would be flooded with a whole bunch of, you know, messages and requests and stuff. It's like just from a girl being like in a this girl. chat room basically. Yes. It's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, ew. creepy. Yeah. The internet's a weird place. 
It is. It is. And speaking of the internet, I want to give you another compliment. Your website is so good. Oh, it has so you. many fabulous, I mean, fabulous is probably not the right word. <laughs> it has so many amazing photos and things that go along with your cases. Mm-hmm. And it's very um, easy and, and, and visually pleasing, I will say. Well, thank you. Yeah. So I could tell you spend a lot of time <laughs> on that too. So tell me, um, speaking of hoax, so tell me about the extra content that you sometimes put out on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. On Patreon, I basically, once a month, I will put out a little like mini bonus episode. Mm-hmm. So that's just an extra episode of Unresolved, but it's a, a shorter episode where there's not a lot of information out there. Okay. So one I actually just covered was a story that I had heard growing up about this house that was down the street from my grandparents' house. Okay. And a friend had always joked and said, oh, that's the murder house. Ooh. And I never took him seriously until a few years later, and I actually looked into it and found out that this house, which is like two or three houses down from my grandparents, had been the scene of a brutal double murder oh. about 10 years before they moved in. <laughs> wow. Did they know about it, your grandparents? They know about it now. Okay, yeah. now. But they didn't know about it then. <laughs> wow. But it was just kind of interesting, you know, hearing these childhood rumors and I don't know how much solace people take in those. But <laughs> Well, no, you you know, listen, growing up there was a house, you know, oh, you don't want to go buy that one on mm-hmm. Halloween because a witch lives there, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then you wonder, like, how did that ever get started? Yep. <laughs> right. So now you know the murder house mm-hmm. really was a murder yeah. house. Okay. But that's the kind of story that I'll cover on patreon and yes. then i also do a monthly kind of exclusive show which is called resolved okay. which is just about stories that have an ending so that's typically not the type of story that i get to cover so it's kind of nice being able to look through something that actually has court documents and you know a suspect yes in the beginning and an end <laughs> yep that you believe is actually the end yeah yes yes <laughs> for the most part <laughs> so we talked a little bit uh before we got started about um podcasts that we listen to but this is sort of the theme of my podcast i want to know what podcast you listen to and especially somebody like you who listen to so much true crime so much heaviness i'd be interested to see what you listen to just for fun <laughs> gotcha um well most of the time i do listen to true crime and yes. you've actually spoken to quite a few of the podcasts that I actually listen to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Fall Line, Gone Cold, Already Gone, Trail Went Cold. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think of other true crime. Do you ever listen to um, Javier on Pretend Radio? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He is really good. He does a really good job. Just when you were saying that about hoax, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, the two of you could do a, a crossover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be really cool. And there's also another podcast called Swindled. And the host, yes. he goes by an anonymous name. I don't want to <laughs> give his name out, but yes. he goes by a concerned citizen. And mm-hmm. that podcast is really good. That's become one of my favorites. And for, I guess, the more fun listens that I go for, because I try not to listen to true crime all the time, but yes. there's one called uh, Behind the Bastards, which okay. is hosted by host Robert Evans, who's an investigative journalist. But it's more of like a comedic take at dictators and you know genocidal maniacs. And they yes. kind of make fun of them and you know, just kind of riff off of their life story. Someone, someone else just said that same podcast really? on this podcast, <laughs> and I can't remember who it was. But yes, Behind the Bastards. Yes, yeah. it's a little bit like history, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not really true crime. It's more historical. But it's a really informative yet entertaining podcast. Okay. And then another one I listen to, which is relatively new. It's a podcast called Lords of Death. Oh, my gracious. Yeah. <laughs> Lords of Death. Okay. And by its name, you could – tell that it's probably pretty heavy, but yes. it's about a unsolved double murder from Ohio in the 1980s. Well, okay. correction, not a double murder. It was two people that were murdered in the same house, separated by a year. And oh. then the host kind of has a personal connection to the story 
which I don't want to spoil for anyone listening. Right. Okay. But he goes into exploring how that could be tied to like a, a biker gang. Okay. And how it could be, you know, this string of violent murders that took place in Ohio could all be related to each other. It's really informative and really well done. Well, you're describing it sounds like something I would want to listen to, but yeah. the title makes me think like, oh my <laughs> gosh, like it's going to be like a satanic culture or something really scary. Yeah. But the way you're describing it sounds like something I would totally be yeah. into. It's a true yeah. crime podcast and the name Lords of Death comes from this group that was allegedly committing these crimes. Okay. They call themselves the Lords of Death. But okay. I don't want to spoil it too much. It's a really good show and I okay. highly encourage you and everyone listening, go check it out. Yeah, I will. And I, then another podcast that I love listening to, it's actually two podcasts. There's Crime and Sports and Small Town Murder and they're okay. hosted by two comedians out of Arizona. Okay. And they, they riff off of criminal athletes and you know small town murders but that's probably the podcast i listen to every day as soon as it comes out <laughs> okay crime and sports that mm-hmm. so, so we're talking about like you know michael vick beating up his girlfriend kind of a thing uh kind of they tend to do more deep dives that athletes you probably haven't heard of okay but they have done like the oj simpson and aaron hernandez haven't done that one yet i okay. don't think but yeah just a lot of baseball players football players Whenever they make fun of MMA fighters, it's the best. <laughs> they call it the brain damage sport. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. But they I, do a good job of not making fun of, you know, the people that have been victimized, but make of fun of, you know, the idiots themselves. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. That's one I could tell my husband to listen to. Yeah. I'm trying to get him to listen to podcasts so that he would – he might like that. If he, he likes sports, I think he'll really like crime and sports. He likes sports. Okay. So crime and sports <laughs> and small town murder? Yep. Okay. All right. Well, that's a great list. Um, behind the bastards, like I said, I've heard of a lot. And then Lords of Death, I would have, I probably would have never even clicked on that because of the title. Yeah. But now, the way you described it, I want to listen. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really good. And there's kind of like an emotional twist in one of the episodes okay. that once it hits, it's the okay. show becomes exponentially better. Okay. I don't want to spoil it. Don't spoil, spoil it. it. <laughs> don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Lords of Death is is the biker gang. That's what I'm gathering. Yes. That's what I'm gathering. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, listen. I love when I get to have somebody in studio. It doesn't happen all that often. We do, at, you know, you probably do a lot of remote recording as well. Yep. So it's nice to meet somebody in person um, <laughs> here in D.C. And, you know, there are a lot of podcasters here in the D.C. area. Yeah. yeah. Right. So we're like a little a little tight group. It's <laughs> pretty cool. And then, you know, like we said, we, we meet a lot of podcasters just remotely. So it's nice sometimes to meet you face to face. We are like our podcast friends and we do air quotes because we never really meet them in person. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that, I, you know, I interviewed somebody yesterday who they do an entire podcast together and they've never met in person. They've been doing it for like a year. Really? Isn't that funny? That one's in San Fran and one's in New York. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it is nice. Mm. It is nice in this uh, new world of podcasting to meet somebody in person. Yeah. So thank you for listening. And I want you to tell everybody where they can find out everything they need to know about Unresolved. Uh, yeah, they could check out my website is unresolved.me. It's pretty easy to remember, unresolved.me. Mm-hmm. And that's where I kind of link everything. I have all the social media links and Patreon at the top, and you can find the podcast store. But I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm not nearly, I'm not posting nearly as much as I should, mm-hmm. but I, I'm there and I can be contacted through those portals. So just search for unresolved or unresolved pod on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Okay. I think that's how I find you. I found you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And remember, you can find me on all social media at Pain in the Pod. And remember to let me know what you're listening to. Thanks.